Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Glad to open God's Word with you. I guess if you have a Bible, find your way to Matthew 16. We're going to be in two sections of Scripture, and on your bulletin this morning, on the back side of it, uh, is an opportunity for sermon notes. It lists Acts 2, 42 through 47, as the main text for today, but we're going to kind of be in two. Uh, And I've noted that we sang and prayed and read Scripture for almost 50 minutes, so I, I guess as a pastor, I get to take at least that long, so great. What a wonderful, what a wonderful blessing to me. No, I'm glad to, glad to open God's Word with you as we open a series in God's Word that I laid out briefly last week, calling this series, One Another, A Compelling Christ-Created Community. One Another, A Compelling Christ-Created Community. However, before we begin looking, you may have come this morning prepared to dig into all of those verses across the New Testament that say, love one another, forgive one another, tolerate one another, pray for one another. Before we do that, we're going to look specifically into where one another is grounded, the context of one another. Now, if you have been around my preaching for uh, any length of time, you know that typically you're working through a book of the Bible and typically verse by verse. This series is going to look at scriptures of the Bible and verify what that scripture says with other scriptures. So we are still preaching expositionally, but we're not working through a book of the Bible verse by verse. To preach expositionally is to open the meaning of God's word that we may understand it and apply it to our lives today. We are going to look specifically at the context of one another. Many people have thoughts on church. In a season where we are discussing becoming one church, I have heard more thoughts on church in the last several months than I ever anticipated. And to be completely honest with you, some of you may think, oh, we're bothering the pastor if we ask these questions. You're never bothering me if you ask questions. I'm thankful that so many have spent so much time diligently asking questions and sharing your thoughts on what the church is, what you think it should be, how we should do it, when we should do it, where we should do it. We're not going to focus so much on all of those things in this series. However, we're going to look at what the church is made up of and how what the church is made up of is called to interact with one another. That is the context that we are considering specifically. The people that God brings into community, a compelling Christ-created community, and how they are called to live with one another. So before we begin, Lord willing, next week, a brief survey of the one another commands in Scripture, we're going to begin by looking at this title I've given the sermon, the series, in reverse order. So if you're paying attention, one another, a compelling Christ-created community. We're going to look this morning at Christ-created community, compelling, and then briefly one another, because we're going to launch into that for a number of weeks. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We look to you in this time through the truth of your word and the power of your spirit that you would guide us, understanding, Father, that it doesn't matter what we do if it is not directed by you. We are to live lives of obedience to you. And so, Father, we pray that through your word you would reveal 
what a compelling Christ-created community looks like, and Father, that you would show us how to live out the one another commands that you have given us in your word. Father, instruct us, teach us here this morning, we pray. God, that as your word is taught, Father, that sinners would be humbled to repentance and salvation. Father, that the holiness of your people would be lifted up, that we would be holy. And we pray above all that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. A Christ-created community. The church, You can, if you're a note-taker, I love to give people notes to dwell on during the week. The church, made by and belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, is a people set apart by God and called to live together in this world of time. Again, Christ-created community, the church, made by and belonging to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a people set apart by God and called to live together in this world of time. By definition, the church is a community. Merriam-Webster, first heading under community, says, quote, a unified body of individuals, end quote. I was interested in the subsequent definitions under community, the first heading. I was interested in the subsequent subheadings under that led to my definition. A group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society. Again, this is Merriam-Webster, my conclusion on the definition given. A group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society. It doesn't take much time at all for us to see the church falling squarely into that definition. Christians are unified together by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his death, burial, and resurrection through faith in that where the Spirit of God brings all of his people together into harmony and into one body. Christians are unified by Jesus Christ and our common interest is God, the things of God the people of God. Now, I'm thankful that in this room, many of you I have common interests with. We talk about hunting and fishing and gardening and our children and all of those things. Wonderful. Many of you probably share those interests as well. But those are not the interests that bind us. Those are not the interests that unify us, though they're helpful in our relationships. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a note written in my Bible around the area of 1 Corinthians, and it says that the Christian church, the church of the living God, is not a community made up of natural friends. I want to give credit to the person who said it. It was D.A. Carson in a book called Love in Hard Places. A church is not made up of natural friends, but enemies. What binds us together is not common education, race, income levels, politics, nationality, accents, or jobs. We come together because we have been saved by Jesus, and we owe him a common allegiance. Christ brings us together into community. But we have to talk about this Christ-created community. You have a Bible in front of you, you're open to Matthew chapter 16, and I would call your attention down to verse 13, a very famous piece of scripture. Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase, so if you're following along, I am paraphrasing what's happening here. Jesus comes into Caesarea Philippi, asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answer him, some Elijah, some John the Baptist, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and Jesus said to them, verse 15, but who do you say that I am? This is a question for every person in this room to answer. 
Who do you say that I am? Christ asks the question. And Simon Peter, being so bold, yet enabled by God, as we'll see in the text, answers, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, you are right. Look what he says there. This has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. God the Father, enabling the heart and mind of Peter, a man sinful as we've seen in Scripture, recognizing you are the Christ God, enabling the heart, empowering the spirit, the mind, the will to exclaim and profess, you, Jesus, are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter then is told by Jesus, Christ goes on and links the near meaning of Peter's name, rock or stone. He links Peter's name to his confession of who Christ is. I tell you, verse 18, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As a side note, I had started writing out a completely new sermon on this point, and I erased it. Because if I were to start digging at the Catholic Church and showing why they are wrong, I would start right here because this is where they start. God gave to Peter some specific standing, and so Peter is the first representative of God on earth after Christ, and then the Pope comes in after Peter, and they're off the rails in la-la land at this point in time, which we probably in this room all fairly well agree with. The Catholic Church is not the true church, and they're, as I hope to show in Scripture this morning, they have no man as the head of their church. They will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will give an account for what they perpetrated as the church. Back to our text. I tell you, verse 18, you are Peter. Your name means rock or stone, and Peter on the rock of your confession, on your profession of faith of me as the Son of God, I will build my church. Much debate, much discussion. There's really, in the original language and even in this language, there's really no room for debate. The church of the living God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is built upon the profession of faith that Jesus Christ is is the Son of God, that he died, that he rose, that he reigns, that he's returning, that he is king. And Jesus says here, notice the words, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church of the living God is made by, Christ says, I will build and belongs to, Christ says, my, the church is made by and belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to any one man, not to any group of people, but to the Lord who created his church, his bride, his body, names that are synonymous throughout scripture with those gathered together through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, Paul wrote, God put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So not only is the church 
made by Jesus Christ. Not only is it his church, but when Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that God put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things, we learn then that Jesus Christ is the author, the creator, and the government of his church. And we are trying to figure out how to do what Christ tells us to do. So in the church world, there are numerous ways for churches to operate and conduct business. Our two churches, very, very similar in how we do all of that. You can go down the street and find a church that does it differently. You can go to other towns and find two or three churches that all do it differently there. But the reality is the church is made by Jesus Christ. The church is built by Jesus Christ. And the church is governed by and will answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. With Christ creating this community, it stands to reason then that Christ, and not man, has the say in who belongs in or who can enter this community. This is not open for debate. This is not open for my thought versus your thought. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who shows us who can belong to his community, the church. The church is a Christ-created community of Christians. I don't always get alliteration well, but sometimes I do. A Christ-created community of Christians. This is the more important note. It is not a community of naturally born citizens. The church of the living God is not made up of anyone who was by birth made a Christian. The church is made up of redeemed sinners, The church is not a community of naturally born citizens. I wrote this down. The church is a community made up of formerly unregenerate individuals. What does that word mean, unregenerate? It means we were born in sin, we were separated from God, and we were outside of his community, his family, his body. The church of the living God is made up of formerly unregenerate. How do we become regenerate? Jesus, in John chapter 3, teaching Nicodemus, says, you must be born again. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. So those who can be in the community of Jesus Christ, those who can be in the church, are those who have been regenerated, born again to new life by the Spirit of God, those who are living a life of repentance toward God, those who are living a life of faith in Jesus Christ, those who are living in obedience to God's Word. The Bible tells us, before the activity of God in saving sinners, Ephesians 2.1 We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2 goes on in verse 4 and 5 says, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is how Christ populates his community the church. He saves formerly unregenerate sinners dead in their sin. He raises them by the power of his spirit to new life through faith in him and makes them his people in 
the world. It's interesting uh, that I don't plan these things out. Anybody that's been around for any certain number of time knows that I don't really plan these things out. I knew we were going to do this, but in the adult Sunday school, we've been talking about conversion, and there it is. God takes sinners and makes them holy and makes them his people. And that is manifested in our lives by our profession of faith, by our diligence in observing God's commands, in our life together, our life with one another. Christ converts his people from death to life. This community existing throughout time is both worldwide, universal, it's not just right here in these four walls. It's not just down the street or in other towns. It is throughout time and throughout the world. The church of the living God. And it is local. Here we are. It is those here gathered through faith in Jesus Christ. It is those there gathered through faith in Jesus Christ. It is those everywhere specifically gathered through faith in Jesus Christ. Christians belong to the church, and then they have a responsibility to belong to a church, a Christ-created community. I noted this past week as I was just observing Scripture, meditating on Scripture, the Christ-created community has three primary jobs. And again, we can all debate on these. These were the three that came to me. I think many would agree. Three primary jobs of the church, Christ-created community, to glorify God, to proclaim the gospel, and to gather together. The Christ-created community has three primary jobs, glorifying God, proclaiming the gospel, and gathering together. It's that third point, gathering together, that we're going to consider today. And I understand that there's much, much wrapped up in that. When do we gather? How do we gather? What do we do? When do we do? Where do we do? There's so much wrapped up in how do Christians gather together. Let's focus specifically on simply the act of Christians coming together. Where, when, how, all of that up for people to solve that haven't solved it already, but let's just focus on me and you. You and you. Us. One another coming together, gathering together. I'm talking about joining a church. What an interesting topic to talk about as a pastor of one church gathered with another church where both churches have membership. So this is for us to be thinking through. And if you're here this morning, you're not a member of either church, I encourage you, join a church. Belong to a church marked off in the world as God's people. Many churches have membership, Many churches do membership in strange ways. I, don't, I won't derail. I could derail about the strange ways, but we won't. Churches handle membership differently. People say, I don't know if membership is necessarily in the scriptures. I'm not sure if I see the need to join a church in the scriptures. And I agree with you that as we examine scripture, we are not going to implicitly see anywhere across, explicitly see anywhere across scripture, you must join a church. However, we will see very clearly across scripture that Christians are always in community with one another. They are never isolated from one another. And this leads me to understand that joining a church is the responsibility of every saved follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Belong to a church. Practiced in a variety of ways. However, this one principle overriding all of them 
if that path to membership does not first begin with a person being born again and professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the practice is off. First and foremost, saved, belonging to Christ, born again. Matthew chapter 16, would you look again with me? We left off kind of verse 18. Look at verse 19 right at the very start of it. After Peter's confession, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, we could isolate this to Peter and the apostles. We could do that. Some churches have to do that in order for their systems of government to work. Jesus saying to Peter on this confession, and I will give you, none other, you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom. However, when we consider the whole counsel of God's word, we must wrestle with Paul telling the Corinthian church how to handle a person who's living in sin and professing to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So what does this mean, this keys of the kingdom? Scholars and commentary writers all agree, keys are a symbol of authority. They're a symbol that signifies entrance, admission, or non-entrance and non-admission. When I read the words of his book, author and pastor Jonathan Lehman says this, in other words, the apostles had heaven's authority for declaring who on earth is a kingdom citizen and therefore represents heaven. He goes on, the authority of the keys is the authority to assess a person's gospel words and deeds and to render a judgment. Simply, membership in the church comes with new birth, evidenced by confession of faith in Jesus Christ and baptism. Membership within a church comes by the same means and is affirmed by other local Christians so joined together. God's plan, not man's, not mine, not yours, not ours. It is God's plan and it's clearly revealed throughout scripture. There's so much to teach on here. I have to keep myself confined to what we're working at, a Christ-created community. This is the beginnings of Christ creating his kingdom on the earth. Jonathan Lehman in his book also notes, and I like the phraseology, local churches are outposts of the kingdom of heaven in this realm. God is sovereign. He is the king over all things. All land is his. And wherever you find his people, he has stationed outposts of his people throughout his realm that everywhere he may be known by all people. This is what makes missions so important. Born again, believing in Jesus, a Christ-created community. The second word, compelling. The community that Christ created has purpose, and that purpose is to be attractive, to make God appealing. What shocking words that fall on my ears. Everywhere in the world today, there are churches who are doing their best to make God attractive and to make church appealing to draw people into it. But I submit to you that it is the actual act of Christians simply worshiping one God together that is the most attractive thing. Why? Because in this room, there are people that might not like one another. You might not like to garden, and I do. You might like to dress up, and I don't. We have opposing views on things. Football season's coming soon. There's going to be Spartan and Wolverine rivalries in here. We don't agree on things. And when we don't agree on things, we're tempted to divide on things. And when we divide on things, well, we look like the world. But when we unite on something that we cannot see, 
and something that we cannot hear over a meal. When we come on a Sunday and we sit in the class and then we sing and we pray and we read and someone speaks and we nod our heads and amen, that's right, we encourage one another. The world doesn't understand that. Why would you do that? That is compelling. Would you turn with me over to Acts chapter 2? A compelling community. A Christ-created community has three jobs, glorifying God, gospel proclamation, and gathering together. All of those things together are compelling. All of those things of themselves are compelling. However, the simple living of life together is what makes a Christ-created community unlike anything else in the world. This is a part of God's evangelism plan in the world. People will often ask, Pastor, what's your plan for evangelism in the church? What's your plan for evangelism in the community? What's your, what's your program to evangelize? I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't have one. God does. And God's evangelism program in the world is to gather his people together, his church, into local churches and to show forth his image and his glory and proclaim his news to everywhere. My answer, Pastor, what's your strategy for evangelism in your community and your church? To train and equip the saints for the work of ministry whereby we may see genuine professors of Jesus Christ living in harmony and declaring his word to the world around them. If we can do that, I promise, we'll be compelling to the community of Byron and beyond. After giving instructions to Titus for how bond servants are to live, we'll be in Acts here in just a moment. Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, that they are to adorn the doctrine of our Savior and God. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want you to make a note of that. Matthew 16, let your light shine that men may see that God will be glorified. That's the creator of our community, the one who makes us community citizens, telling us to go and be compelling in the world. In Acts chapter 2, we see what is considered to be the beginning of the Christ-created community, the church. And it's so compelling. They glorified God. They gathered in Acts chapter 1, the disciples in the upper room. They pray. They're worshiping. They're praying. And all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 2, this sound like a wind comes, and those around are coming to see, what is this sound that we've heard? And then these people are stumbling out. The onlookers think they're drunk. These people are stumbling out, and all of a sudden, they're like, they're not drunk. I hear them. I'm not from here. He's not from where I'm from, but I understand what he's saying as the Holy Spirit is poured out. And God reverses the curse at Babel and starts unifying people through the use of language. How awesome. They glorified God. Peter steps up and gives a sermon. They're like, these guys are drunk. And Peter, bold and enabled by God, stands up. Men of Judea and who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And he preaches just an outstanding sermon. One day we'll examine it word by word. It's incredible. He convinces them, Jesus is the Christ. We are sinners. He came to save us. God made him Christ. And at the end of it, 
Look where it starts. We talk about the church starting with regeneration. Look at being saved, born again. Peter preaches, verse 37, when they, those around, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you, for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And the church starts right there with regeneration and new birth. And as we read on, look at verse 41. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Write that down. The church just multiplied not by two, by 30. There were 100 of them. Now there are 3,000 added. Oh my goodness, the administration nightmare. Can you imagine? They don't even have deacons for like five chapters. Oh my goodness. And that's not all. Another chapter over, you see, is something about thousands. Like, they're multiplying and multiplying. Why? Because they were compelling in how they lived as followers and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's do a simple survey. We won't read verse by verse. Look at verse 42. Devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Amen. That's why we're here today. That's a church service. Verse 42 is a church service. Devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was in awe and wonder at what was happening because people are being healed. People are being set free from burdens and bonds. Verse 44, everyone together, look at this, caring for each other's needs. Look what it says. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's upside down in our world. I submit to you the world is more compelling at their benevolence than the church. We need to change that. We need to be more benevolent. God owns all things. He's given all things to his people. We need to be caring for people and caring for one another specifically, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. Everyone together, caring for each other's needs. Verse 46, it says, day by day in the temple. Now we stood this morning, Charlie, thank you for 72 verses. They did it every day. Yeah, I know, I understand times were different. What if we all woke up and came every day at 6 a.m. and prayed? What if we came and we read scripture for a half an hour every morning? How compelling would that be to the people of Byron? They're getting at that church every single day and they're praying and reading the Bible. Like, you're all looking at me like, Pastor, you're out of your mind. No, I'm reading scripture and I'm seeing what God does through his people when they live in a compelling way, saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people. Look at the end of the verse. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't this what we all desire to see in our church, in other churches, throughout the world? I'm, I'm going to be bold. If you don't desire to see this in your church or in other churches or in the church throughout the world, you need to examine your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to examine my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if I look at another gathering of God's people and do not wish that these things would explode among them and they would be a compelling, Christ-created community of Christians. I'm challenged by the thought. It came through a simple question a pastor asked in an article. Pastor, 
Will you glorify God and rejoice if the other church succeeds and yours doesn't? Wrestle that one down. Churches are closing all the time. Some churches aren't closing all the time. Are we rejoicing when the kingdom advances regardless of our position in it? It's God's kingdom. We all belong to it. It's compelling. And I submit to you that when we gather and we pray and we consider other churches and the work of the gospel throughout the world, that is compelling to people outside. If we pray for neighboring churches and countries where we don't maybe like them so much, God, would you save? God, would you be glorified? That is compelling for your consideration. Churches seem to be not quite so compelling these days. That disturbs me. I ask myself, are we compelling to the community of Byron? Not because of anything special, but do they want to come in here because God is alive and reigning and saving sinners? Are we compelling? If a church is not compelling, I submit that it must be a lack of obeying how God calls us to live with one another. Our last phrase, we'll observe the Lord's Supper, sing, and go. One another, a Christ-created, compelling Christ-created community. One another, with whom and how a compelling Christ-created community lives. In the original language, Greek, one another is one word. It's the word alelon. I'm not that good at Greek. I have an app on my phone that helps me. I found it amusing that the pronunciation of the Greek word is so similar to our words, all alone. Did you hear it? The Greek word, the pronunciation, alelone. What were you doing? I was all alone, right? All alone and alelone are completely opposed to one another, and that amused me a little bit. It's used 100 times across 94 verses in 21 of the New Testament's 27 books of the Bible. I have said, I'm often fond of saying, I have heard Charlie say and other men who have read scripture, when God says something once, always listen. When he says it twice, pay very careful attention. If he repeats himself three times, you're not listening. 100 times across the New Testament, God directs his people how to engage life with one another. I submit to you, we must be paying attention to the one another commands found in scripture. One another is transliterated. That means spelled in a different language as the words, as the word alone. They say it's two words in our language. It's one in the Greek. The translators bring it forward the best they can to give the closest, nearest meaning. How about this? Of the 100 uses, 76 times are translated specifically as one another. Other uses include uh, uh, yourselves, themselves. There's nine miscellaneous uses. 76 uses of the word have to do with my living with you. And you're living with me and with one another. That's important for us to note of God's use of his word. Alelon means reciprocally or mutually. Think golden rule in Matthew 7 verse 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Christ the king giving us that. Christ also says the golden rule is the law and the prophets. None of the one another commands in scripture are one way. Not one. I am to love you. You are to love me. 
I am to forgive you. You are to forgive me. There are two-way roads everywhere, not one-way roads. Interesting and of note, they are two-way roads, but they are not conditional roads. And wow, does this get really tough. I mean, this, this series is going to challenge me, and it's going to challenge you, and it's going to challenge us. Let me just be warning you from the beginning. The one another commands are not conditional. I am to love you when you do not love me. You are to forgive me when I do not forgive you. We are to tolerate those that do not tolerate us. Do you understand? They are two-way roads, and they are not conditional. Often said, and we'll examine it, forgive one another. It's a specific command in the New Testament. Often said, I would, but they're not going to listen. God never says, forgive someone if they listen to you. He says, forgive as I have forgiven you. They are not conditional. Working through this is going to stretch us as individuals, as churches, as God's church, but I am convinced that working through the one another commands of Scripture will further conform us to the image of God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Obeying the one another commands of Scripture will transform us into a compelling Christ-created community. We'll begin considering them more in detail next week. I have these questions. Are you a member of Christ's community, the church? Are you saved? God is holy. Sin separates us from him. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Repent of sin and be forgiven. Confess your sins and God will forgive you. Have you done so? If not, I urge you, do so now, today. I'd love to talk with you more. Are you united with God's people in regenerate church membership? Are you a member of a church? Many here are members of one of the two churches here. If you are not, we'd love to talk with you. I don't care which church you talk to about joining. I know that both start with regenerate membership. We don't know what the Lord's going to do in our future. Perhaps we'll all be one church. Perhaps we'll remain two churches. We do not know. But that doesn't mean sit around and wait to join a church. It means get into life with one another right now. Don't wait. If you are saved, please Join a church. I love the saying, to be a Christian is to be a member of the church. Which one you go to is a decision you make. Please consider joining together in life with one another as a specific, I haven't even touched on, specific and meaningful church membership. It's not just joining another time. Is your manner of life compelling to the world around you? Boy, is this a wrestling one for me. When people look at me and consider me, do they even think about wanting to try and come to the church that I go to? Is my life evidencing anything of the goodness of God where they say, I think I'll come and I think I'll listen and see what it's all about? Is your manner of life compelling to the world around you? Is the way you live adorning, making attractive the gospel of Jesus Christ? Fellow brothers and sisters, I submit to you, God has been bringing people into our midst that we do not know. Are they compelled by our loving Jesus and loving one another well? Would you pray with me? Oh God, would you help us? Would you strengthen us to become the compelling Christ-created community that you desire in this town? Father, for the glory of your name and the advance of your gospel. Father, as we obey your command to live life with one another, Father, we pray that this would bring you glory. 
We pray that this would strengthen and further our proclamation of the gospel. And we pray, God, that we would live life and love and forgive and tolerate. Father, life with one another well to the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.